right, man, great to see you. Get your Bible out and open up with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today, uh, Acts chapter 2. And uh, we've been looking at the book of Acts over the last several weeks. We're in a study called Begin Here, and we're looking at the beginning of the early church and uh, just how God started the church, how Jesus started the church. And as you remember, we said the phrase uh, that Jesus started the church the way he wanted it, and now he wants it uh, the way he started it, right? And so we're looking back at the uh, at the early church and what God did there. Now, when we study the book of Acts, you need to remember just by principle that the book of Acts is primarily descriptive, not prescriptive. What I mean by that is it's describing to us what the early church is like, not necessarily telling us what to do. It's describing what it was like not necessarily telling us what to do. However, when you go on and read in the New Testament, you see lots of places uh, that do tell us to do the very things we see happening in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts really is just a great model for us to look at and to aspire to. Say, you know what, this is what it was like in the early, early church, how great it would be if we could, uh, we could be like that. Now, uh, there's a danger in that, in that we tend to um, glamorize the early church and think, oh man, if we could have just been there, right? If we could have just been in the early church, it would have been a perfect church, right? Uh, yes or no, were they perfect? Uh, no, they were not perfect. They had issues, uh, just like we have issues. They had conflict, like we have conflict. They had, they had challenges, like we, in fact, they, if nothing else, they had more persecution, more challenges than even what we face uh, in, our, in our church today. However, even though they had all that, God was moving in a unique and powerful way. And I believe that God still wants to move in his church in that same way, don't you? And so that's why we're studying uh, the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And we're just going to kind of dive into it uh, this morning. Acts 2 beginning at verse 42. This is the word of God. Amen. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, stop right there for uh, just a minute. Um, notice the word devoted. You might circle that word devoted. Okay? That's an important word. It's going to come up a, another time in this passage we're looking at. The word devoted in the Greek is, is really a compound word. Uh, one word means forward. The other word means strong. So they were moving forward in strength. That's the idea. They were committed uh, together. They were moving forward uh, in constant motion, steadfastly moving in, in the same direction. That's devoted. And, and they, they were devoted to some things. You know, it's easy to start something. It's hard to finish something. Would you agree with that? You know, how many projects you have in your house? You go, oh, you know, I kind of got that started, and then I kind of got derailed. On the, in fact, don't talk about that right now. That might cause some conflict, all right? Uh, but it's easy to start projects, not so easy to finish the project. In fact, if you look at the New Year's resolutions, they're that same way. Uh, studies show that those who make a New Year's resolution, uh, well, they, uh, 30% 
are, are already off the tracks in two weeks, all right? So that means for some of you, you're already off the tracks, all right, in your New Year's resolution, all right? Uh, but 40% will have quit their New Year resolution by the first month, all right? Uh, over half will quit after six months. Only 9% of people that make a New Year's resolution actually keep that resolution for the full year. Why? Because it's so easy to start something, so hard uh, to finish something. Uh, Denzel Washington, when he was receiving an award for uh, best actor, he said this, without commitment, you will never start, but without consistency, you will never finish. Now, I tell you that because this early church, they had some consistency. They were committed to some things. They were moving forward consistently in the same direction. They were devoted to some things. And the things they were devoted to are the things that we need to be devoted to as a church, all right? You say, well, what things were they devoted to? I'm so glad you asked uh, because I'm going to unpack that for you. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you four things that the early church was devoted to that we should be devoted to as well. All right, here's the first one. Uh, they were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to God's word. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, when it says the apostles' teaching, you go, well, what was that? You know, what, what, what was the apostles actually teaching at that time? Well, uh, I, I think part of what the apostles were teaching were, were Old Testament things that are fulfilled in Jesus. Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. I think you see this over and over and over. Remember last week we studied Peter's first sermon preached in the church. It's in Acts chapter 2. And multiple times... He quotes the Old Testament and shows its fulfillment in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus did the very same thing when he met two men after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. He opened up the law and the prophets and showed how the Messiah fulfilled these things. We see uh, Paul doing the same thing in, in Acts 28 verse 23 where he dove into the law and the prophets and showed them the reality of Jesus. So I think some of what they were doing is teaching the Old Testament and how that applies uh, to Jesus, how Jesus fulfills that. I also think part of the teaching was just the instruction of Jesus himself. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all I've what? Commanded you. So Jesus gave some commands, some teaching, and they were teaching the words of Jesus. And so you've got the Old Testament fulfillment in Jesus, the commands and life of Jesus. In fact, if you put all that together, what I would say the apostles' teaching was really the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what they were teaching about the person and the work of uh, Jesus Christ. Now, now the, these apostles that taught about the personal work of Jesus Christ actually wrote some of this stuff down. Did you know that? They actually wrote this stuff down. Uh, some of them wrote down the accounts of Jesus. Uh, some of them wrote letters to churches that were planted to instruct them on the personal work of Jesus and how they should live as Christians. And, and those accounts of Jesus and those letters to these early churches were actually put together in what we have in our New Testament. So when we talk about the apostles' teaching, really you're holding in your hand what the apostles taught. Uh, it has been passed down to us. And so devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching is the same thing as saying, hey, we're devoted to uh, the Word of God. We're devoted to the Bible. 
We're devoted to biblical teaching out of God's word. That's what we're, what we're committed to. Let me just remind you that the church was birthed out of a sermon that was about the person, the work of Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 2. That was last Sunday. And so if the church is birthed out of that, then the church should remain in that, right? Uh, we're not all about just uh, motivational talks. Uh, we're not about just nice quips and quotes and one-liners you can tweet out. Uh, not just some moving illustrations that get the emotions going. Listen, you can have that and have a club. You can get that and have a civic organization. But you can't have a church unless you're teaching the Word of God. And, and listen, I'm just like really fired up, committed about this. That people don't need me to be clever. They need to hear from God. They need to know that God has spoken to them. They need to know that this book is not just any ordinary book, that this book is actually the word of God in the words of God. They are for us and that this book is, uh, well, it says it's like a hammer that breaks the hard places of our heart. It's like a sword that cuts deep into our heart and exposes us. It has authority, it has power, and we're to align our life against the word of God and not the other way around. Somebody say amen to that. All right, we're committed to the word. Did you, know that, did you know that in our church we have this thing called the code? And the number one statement on our code is that we eat, sleep, and breathe God's word. I love that. Right, if you're new here, guess what? We believe the Bible. Shocker. Uh, we're going to preach it. We're going to teach it. We're going to eat, sleep, and breathe God's word and do our very best to align our life uh, to the word of God. And that's exactly uh, what the early church was doing. You know, it's just heartbreaking to me when I hear people say, well, you know, pastor, I, we, we've been to XYZ church and, you know, they just don't preach the Bible anymore. I'm like, what are they talking about then? I don't, I don't have any content other than what the Bible has to say, right? And certainly not anything that you would be interested in uh, because all we want to know is what does God say about the matter? And so here they were teaching uh, the word of God. Uh, hands up if you want a church that's committed to the Word of God. All right, yeah, that's just about all of us, all right? We all want a church to be devoted to God's Word. Uh, here's another question. Are you devoted to God's Word? Are you personally devoted to the Word of God? Are you allowing the Word of God to move from your head down into your heart, to saturate your life? You know, uh, uh, let me ask it to you in this other question. If you were to pass away and people were to gather together at your memorial service, would one of the things they say is that, man, they were just devoted to the Word of God. I mean, look at their Bible. It's all marked up. Look at, look at, look at how they studied God's Word. Look at how they loved the Word of God. Look at their prayer journals, how they journaled the Word of God. Would they say that? You say, well, Craig, I'm not really sure how I can be devoted to the Word of God. Every one of, the, every one of you got one of these. It's called a hand, all right? Everybody, you got one of these hands. So let me give you a little hand illustration as to how to get a hold of God's Word and be devoted. Number one, your pinky is hearing the Word, all right? Now, if I just only hear the Word, I, get to, I got a grip of the Word of God, but not very good. You know, I mean, I, it can kind of be pulled away from me. But nevertheless, it's better than nothing. If I can hear the Word of God, then I get some grip on it, Right? Uh, the second finger would be actually reading the Word. All right, so now if I'm hearing it and I'm reading it on a daily basis, I'm actually opening up my Bible and saying, God, speak to me. Now I've got a, 
I've got a pretty good grip on this thing. I'm reading and hearing the word, but check this out. If I were to actually study God's word, that means get together with other people and study the word and discuss it. Now I'm really getting a good firm grip on the word of God, right? But I've only got three fingers on it. Uh, I, what about this one? This finger is memorizing God's word. What? Yeah, actually memorize. Hey, you know your address. You can memorize God's word, right? So everybody nod at me. Yes, I can memorize God's word. Maybe taking a few verses at a time, but I can memorize the word. Now I've really got a grip. But if I want just the best grip ever, this thumb is meditating on God's word. God, what does this mean for me? Moving it from my head to my heart, seeking to apply it to my life. Man, if I do those things, I have got a solid grip on the word of God. That means I'm devoted to the word. Listen, what God wants for us as a church, what God wants for you is to be devoted to the Word of God. I remember when I was in college, I had a Bible. I still have it. Uh, but I mean, I, I was just constantly underlining, constantly writing. Con I mean, and then the kind of the insides of it fell out. And then I had it rebound because like, I can't give, give this thing up, you know. And, and then, then the cover fell off of it, you know, and then I'm redoing it again. And, and so finally, I've just got it stuck somewhere because if I mess with it, it just keeps falling apart. Uh, you, that part of you are thinking because that's so old, right? It's just like it's ancient, right? But uh, but it, was, it told a story of that season of my life when I just couldn't get enough of the Word of God. Listen, that's what God wants for all of us. That's what He wants for you. And that's what He wants for us as a church, to be devoted to uh, the Word of God. So the first one, they were devoted to God's Word. All right, say that with me. They were devoted to God's Word. All right, here's the second thing. They were devoted to each other. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The fellowship. Uh, what is the fellowship? Uh, I remember growing up in church, we had a thing called the fellowship hall. Remember that? And, and what did you do in the fellowship hall? You ate. That's what you did. I, it should have just called the eating hall because that's what we uh, And what did we eat? We ate Christian chicken and deviled eggs. I don't know, it seemed like darkness and light, I don't know. But we had a lot of that, Christian chicken and deviled eggs. Uh, we don't have a fellowship hall anymore, we just have Chick-fil-A. That's what we have today. It's like the modern day uh, fellowship hall, all right? Uh, but the word fellowship here not just, does not just mean eating. The word koinonia, uh, here it is, means sharing and partnering. Sharing and partnering. All right, that's kind of the gist of it. So part of uh, uh, fellowship was sharing, uh, sharing what? Well, they, they were sharing church. They shared their life together. They shared their hopes, their dreams, their failures, their struggles. They shared their life, their joys, the highs and the lows. Um, in fact, look at verse uh, 44, uh, Acts 2, verse 44. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. They just shared their lives together. They also shared their resources together. They were a generous church. They were a, a giving church. In fact, later on, the Apostle Paul will go to the churches he plants 
in Asia Minor, and he will actually lift up an offering to bring back to Jerusalem because the churches in Jerusalem were on hard times. They said, hey, we owe these people the gospel, so let's just give out of our poverty and our resources to help them. And he called the offering the koinonia, the fellowship. So this idea of fellowship is sharing with one another, sharing in generosity. Listen, when you give what God puts in your hands to meet the needs of someone else, uh, that causes praise to ring out to God, doesn't it? When you give generously and others receive it, they receive it as unto the Lord, and then God is praised. So God is praised with the giving and God is praised with the receiving. The Lord gets all the praise. It's all his anyway, right? Even what we have to give comes from him. And so there's joy in the giving, there's joy in the receiving, and praise is lifted up to God. And that's what was happening uh, in this church. And by the way, we have a very generous church. You are a very generous church. In fact, I have an announcement to make. Everybody listen up, lean in. Uh, I have an announcement to make. Um, Because of the generosity of a family in our church, we are now debt-free. Debt-free, all right? We have no debt on our books. Uh, as of January 1, we, all our debts have been paid off uh, completely debt-free. And man, praise God for that. Isn't that awesome? But hey, we're, we're clapping and we're praising God for his provision. And so there's, there's joy in the giving. There's joy in the receiving. Both give praise to God. And that's what God wants for your life too. When you give to meet the needs in our community, there's praise lifted up to God. When you give to meet each other's needs, praise lifts up to God. When you give uh, to plant churches and advance the kingdom, there's praise lifted up to God, both in the giving and the receiving. And that is part of koinonia. It's sharing and giving generosity. That's all part of the koinonia of the fellowship. So they were a sharing church, but they were also a partnering church. That is that they worked together for a common cause. They locked arms, one heart, one mind. This is what Paul uh, prayed about in Philippians 2 verse 2 when he prayed that they would be united in spirit intent on one purpose. See, when we are focused on one purpose, And that is our mission, to advance the kingdom, to get the gospel out, to plant churches, raise up leaders, multiply the gospel as far as we can. When we're locking arms on that single mission, then then we're walking in harmony. We're experiencing fellowship together. And that's really... uh, you're, you're a church on mission. We, we, we say this over and over and again. Our, our mission is to lead every generation to know and follow Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why God has us here. And so basically this fellowship is both sharing and partnering, giving and partnering. That's what the fellowship is. And by the way, that happens in a corporate setting as a total church. But did you know that all that gets boiled down into a microcosm of a small group? And that's why it's so important for us and for you to be a part of a small group. Because when you get into a connect group, guess what happens? You share life together. You study God's word together. You pray for each other. You meet each other's needs. You lift each other up. 
You share and encourage and give together. And then you go out into the community and you serve together. And you care for our community and you lock arms in one purpose. In fact, in about six weeks from now, all of our connect groups are going to be going out into the neighborhood and we're going to be serving and talking about Jesus on mission together. All of that happens in the context of this group. Now listen, if you're not in a group, guess what? You don't have. You don't have that fellowship and you don't have that partnering. Yeah, you can come to a service and you can take in a service and still feel very much alone. But in a group, you've experienced that. And so that's why it's so important for you to say, hey, I, I gotta be sure I'm in a group. I'm in a place where I'm experiencing a fellowship. They were devoted uh, to some things, right? Uh, first, to God's word. Uh, second, they were devoted to each other. Uh, here's a third thing, write this down. They were devoted to worship. They were devoted to worship. Look at verse 42 again. Uh, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The breaking of bread and to prayer. Uh, literally, it's the breaking of bread and the prayers. I don't know if your version has that definite article, the, there. It should be for both, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, John Stott, one of our uh, great New Testament scholars that has gone to be with the Lord now, he said this, uh, the, the, the definite article, the, uh, quote, suggests a reference to the Lord's Supper, and uh, on the one hand, and prayer services or meetings on the other. In other words, that they were not just hanging out, having lunch, they were, they were having the Lord's table. The breaking of bread is a reference to the Lord's table, that they were celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on a regular basis. And they were committed to the prayers. In other words, some think that that meant uh, specific prayers they read together. Uh, some think it means just committed to prayer meetings, to praying together on a regular basis. We're not really sure. Uh, the scripture doesn't tell us how often to have the Lord's Supper. Some churches have it every single Sunday. Some uh, have it once a month. Some have it once a quarter. Uh, it doesn't, there's no distinction or particular uh, a command as to the frequency, only that they were committed to it, that they were devoted to the Lord's Supper, and they were committed to praying together as a church. You know, just, just uh, as we kicked off this year, we did 21 days of prayer, right? I hope, hopefully you were a part of that, and every day praying together as a church. They were committed to that. Just last week, we took the Lord's Supper together, and, and that was a regular occurrence. They were committed to that, and we need to be committed to those very same things. Both of these really indicate worship. Worship doesn't just mean music, right? Worship is, is worshiping Jesus and takes various forms. Sometimes worship comes in giving. Sometimes it comes in singing. Sometimes it comes in preaching. Uh, sometimes it comes in, uh, in, in uh, prayer. All different kinds of ways to worship. But look at the uh, outcome of that, verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Uh, God was showing up. That when they worshiped together, hey, it wasn't boring. I guess what I'm just saying. When they got together and worshiped and, and they were together, they weren't, nobody was like dozing off, all right? Because they were, they were so excited, man. The apostles are teaching and we're committed to each other and we're partnering together and we're worshiping and we're praying and we're, and we're celebrating God. I mean, this was a fired up place and God was on the move. 
God was doing some miraculous things among them. I want you to notice signs and wonders were performed by the apostles. Notice, in fact, you could circle star this in your Bible. The apostles' teaching and the apostles' miracles are both there in that same passage. See that? The apostles working. Uh, who were the apostles exactly? Uh, well, the apostles were the 12 uh, leaders that were uh, chosen by Jesus to lead the church. The apostles were the leaders of uh, the early church. Uh, not just anybody could be an apostle, all right? Not just anybody had the office of an apostle, all right? Now, listen to my language. There was an office called the apostle. The leaders of the church in that office were chosen men by Jesus. In fact, there was a three-step criteria to be an apostle. One was you had to have witnessed the resurrected Christ, that's number one. You had to see the resurrected Christ. Uh, number two, you had to be chosen by Jesus to lead. Uh, number three, uh, that there would be some type of power of God displayed to authenticate your role in this office. That's what was mentioned here. Miracle signs, wonders done by the apostles. Right? So those three things were, were the criteria for you being an apostle. And these apostles form the foundation of the church. In, Act, in, in Ephesians 2.20, it says the apostles were the foundation of the church with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, right? Jesus is the cornerstone and the apostles are laying the foundation in what way? The foundation of biblical truth. They're laying down, they, they were the ones that wrote the scriptures and laid down for us the solid biblical truth upon which the church was built. Ephesians 2.20. In fact, these same 12 apostles are mentioned in Revelation uh, chapter 21, verse 14, that they are the foundations of the temple in heaven. They have 12 foundations, and the names of the apostles are on them. So I'm just saying these were pretty special dudes. Would you agree with that? That's a technical term, right? Very technical, very special dudes. Are there apostles like this today? No. There are no more apostles like this today. Nobody's out writing the Bible today, all right? Bible's been written. The apostles have served their, their function. They've laid down the foundation. They've given us the, the testimony of the word of God. And uh, there are no apostles uh, today. These apostles, though, were doing miraculous things. Uh, God was on the move. Now, listen, while we uh, strongly hold that there are no apostles today that have that same kind of authority in the office of apostle, uh, still, God still moves in his church. Would you agree with that? Now, listen, we're not pursuing signs and wonders. We're pursuing Jesus. But we do still believe that God moves in supernatural ways. In fact, just this last week, uh, we had a family, precious family in our church, battling cancer that came to our, our, every Tuesday, our staff gets together and we pray. You know that. I tell you that all the time. We gather every Tuesday. We pray together for you. And we were able to gather around this family and pray over them for healing in their situation. And it's our delight to do that for any of our church family that needs prayer, right? Uh, it's our delight. It's part of our role as shepherds to pray for you and pray over you. Uh, we're not pursuing signs and wonders. We're pursuing Jesus. But we do believe that God moves in powerful ways. And that's what was happening here. They were together. There was a sense of awe. God was moving in their midst. And where were they worshiping together? Where was this worship happening? Look at verse 46. Every day they were devoted themselves 
there it is, devoted, uh, to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. And they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They were worshiping together. They were devoted to worship uh, in prayer, in the Lord's table, gathering together. Where were they doing it? In the temple, in large group setting, and in house to house, in small group setting. Uh, People go, well, why do we have uh, like uh, groups on campus and then we come to worship together? Who came up with that idea? Uh, Acts chapter two, all right? Large group, small group, all right? All together corporately in small groups of fellowship. This is how the early church functioned. And all of it was really, really important. Listen, um, some people say, well, Craig, I don't think that I need to be in a part of a small group. I mean, I think I can worship God alone just fine. I can worship God in my bass boat. I can worship God on the ninth green. I can worship God in my deer stand just like any other place. Uh, Well, you know, that that may be true. You can worship God in those places, right? Uh, You uh, alone, you can be a Christian, but you cannot be the church alone. You understand? It takes us being together to be the church. And last I checked, Jesus loves the church. And Jesus died for the church. And Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus is coming again for who exactly? The church. And so it's important for us uh, to be together. Online is a great option. It is a lousy permanent solution. All right? Uh, online is great. I mean, I'm sick. I'm traveling. Praise God. We have the technology. We can, we can be a part. But you can't really be a part of the fellowship. And you can't really be engaged in worship unless you're here. That's why you need to be here. Listen, I'm not saying that to drive up attendance. I'm saying that because you need it. And I need it. I need to be with God's people. And so do you. That's why Hebrews 10 says, let us, not, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds uh, and not give up beating together as some are in the habit of doing, but in encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. We need encouragement. Anybody here need encouragement? Yeah, we all need it. And we need to be spurred on because we get lazy and we get off track. And that happens when we come together. We get spurred on and we get reminded and we get encouraged to do these things because the Lord's coming is soon. I've told this story before, but it's so good. Uh, Dr. D.L. Moody, the pastor of the church in Chicago, in the late 1800s, he went to go visit a church member that had fallen off in his attendance. And as he stood in the man's living room, the man began to give his excuses as to why he wasn't in church this week and then kind of missed the last week and probably said something like, my kids had a soccer game last week and then I had to go to the lake house uh, the week after that. And then I had that business trip and then we had that vacation we had to use. And and so he's just, he just missed quite a bit and D.L. Moody's in there listening to him. Then D.L. Moody went over to his fireplace and took the stoke uh, stoker from uh, the fireplace and began to remove the coals one from the other and they both men stood there and watched as what was a fire began to slowly burn out and the man turned to Dr. Moody and he said I understand see the fact is that things begin to burn out if we're not together 
Your love for Jesus burns out. Your, your love for God's word, your heart for the lost, your passion for worship, all these things begin to burn out if we are not together, stirring, spurring, encouraging each other. So they were committed to this. They were committed to God's word. They were committed to each other in generosity and partnership. They were committed to, uh, uh, to being together and worshiping together. And here's the last one. They were devoted to the gospel. They were devoted to the gospel. Verse 47, every day the Lord added to their number uh, those who were being saved. Think about that. Every day uh, people were joining their number, those who were being saved. Uh, we know from Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 people were saved in one day. I would call that a pretty good Sunday, wouldn't you? 3,000 people, man. Talk about church growth, right? Church growth. I mean, I can just imagine Peter putting out his first book, right? How to grow your church by 3,000 in one Sunday, you know? Sold 1,000 copies, right? But Peter knew it wasn't him that was doing it, right? Because it said, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Hey, when the church grows, it's God that does the work. If it's sustaining growth, if it's healthy growth, if it's real growth, it's something that God is doing. No one can take credit for what only God does. The Lord was adding to their number. Daily what? Daily those who were being saved. There was a declaration of the gospel. There were people getting saved. There were people coming to faith in Jesus. And that's why we, on a regular basis, ask you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Last year, we had almost 500 decisions for Christ because we're committed to the gospel. We're committed to getting, that's why we plant churches. We're committed to the gospel. We're committed to getting the gospel out. It says that, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, and it happened every day. It happened on a daily basis. I mean, somebody else is coming to Christ. Somebody else is coming to Christ. Somebody else is coming to Christ. And there was just this buzz and excitement and anticipation that maybe today my neighbor will come to faith. Maybe today my, my son, my daughter, uh, my, my friend will come to faith in Jesus. That's what God wants for us. And that really starts with us. Are you burdened and praying for your lost friend? Are you sharing your faith in Jesus? Are you bringing them with you to hear the gospel again? This was happening. This is what they were devoted to. This is what they were committed to. Steadfastly in the same direction, right? Without commitment, you'll never get started. But without consistency, you'll never finish. And they were consistent and holding fast in these priorities, devoted to the Word of God, devoted to fellowship in each other, devoted to gathering together in worship, devoted to the gospel. This is what they were devoted to. And God moved. Listen, I think that God wants to move in a church like that today, don't you? And as we're steadfastly committed to these things, God will be committed to us. And he will move in our midst and God will use us in ways we never dreamed possible. So we need to be devoted. You agree with that? In fact, I, I want us to end our service today by making a declaration of devotion. How you feel about that? Feel good about that? A declaration that we're devoted to these things. So why don't you stand up with me and I'm gonna put some words on the screen and we're gonna read these out loud together. Now here's the deal. Uh, don't read it if you don't believe it, but if you do believe it, read it with conviction, 
All right? You know what conviction sounds like? It doesn't sound like this. Conviction sounds like this. All right? Are you ready? Got your convicted voice ready? Deep breath. We're going to read this out loud together. This is our declaration of devotion. I am devoted. Here we go. I believe Jesus Christ is a son of God who died in my place, rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, sent us his spirit, and is coming again for his people. Therefore, I am devoted. I am devoted to God's word, daily allowing his truth to sink deep into my heart and direct my life. I am devoted to other believers, sharing my life in community and service. I am devoted to worshiping Jesus, gathering in large and small groups for the purpose of glorifying Jesus. And I am devoted to the gospel, sharing the hope of Jesus with the people around me. Yes, I am devoted to Jesus and I will worship Him alone.